0: guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville. It's good to connect with you guys on the I Love Seville network. Um, Blue Ridge Venture Fund is doing a fantastic job of uh, helping connect entrepreneurs with investors in this community. Find it online at BlueRidgeVentureFund.com. Judah's... Introduce me to a story. Why don't we go on two-shot to the band Bookmobile. And you're right. It is in the local news. I've, I've missed this story, Judah. The band Bookmobile stopped on the downtown mall on Wednesday with some reading materials deemed uh, controversial. It's a multi-state tour created to educate the public on the rising wave of book bans across the country. Yeah. The band Bookmobile um, makes tours around the country. Where did you find, uh, I'll do uh, some reconnaissance on the fly here on the band Bookmobile. What um, titles intrigued you the most that were banned?
1: Well, like I said, uh, I think reading about this was the first I heard that Charlotte's Web was banned, which is, I mean, just an absolute absurdity. Anybody out there thinking that uh, Charlotte's Web deserves to be banned? Uh, I don't want that person anywhere near. Wilbur? My, I don't want I don't want that person anywhere near children. Wilbur. I guess it's. Been, I mean, I haven't read the book in probably 40 years, at least. I doubt I was reading it when I was eight. I I, I do remember reading it. Yeah, I think I read it too. Been quite a long time. I couldn't really tell you much about it, but I can tell you that it's not offensive.
0: Charlotte's Web, this according to multiple resources online, the Children's Story of Friendship, Respect, and Devotion, published in 1952 and a favorite of waves of generations of children since then, was banned in 2006 on religious grounds. Some parents felt that only humans should have the ability to speak. It was not proper for animals to speak, because obviously it's a true story. Um, very intriguing that Charlotte's Web has been banned. I did not know that Charles, Charlotte's Web was banned either.
1: And and obvi- and this doesn't mean that it's banned, you know, across the United States in every single. The school. ban
0: did not last long. It's still allowed in some uh, many, 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 many schools. Oh, I'm
1: sure it's allowed in most schools. But the fact that someone would.
0: Anywhere would ban it is insanity. Randy O'Neill, welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for joining us. Um, intriguing. Mr. DL, welcome to the program. Thank you kindly for joining us. Um, and and, so, and the, other, the other big one that I, that I
1: recognize, I probably don't even know most of these books, and, uh, but Mouse, M A U S. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning graphic novel about the Holocaust. And apparently, it's been banned because it's got
0: a swastika on the cover because it deals with Nazis. But. What other titles jumped out to you from the banned book? Deep Throat says this. This is from Deep Throat. Uh, it was one religious district banning it on the basis that animals spoke, which they said was satanic. It's 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, multiple folks had no idea that it was banned. Um, I did, had no idea until two minutes ago on this program when I was informed by Judah Wickhauer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so, you know, not all these books are banned everywhere, and, and uh, maybe some of them are better off... Or I'm, sure, I'm sure there are definitely some of them that are better off not being in, uh, in elementary schools. But the fact of the matter is, kids are curious... And a kid, in fact, this ties in with what you want to talk about. A kid that wants to read is a great thing. And the fact of the matter is that parents, and I'm not a parent, so take this with you know however many grains of salt you want. Parents need to be present in their child's lives. If their children are reading, whether or not you want them to read that, talk to them. If they're reading something that you disagree with, explain to them why you disagree with it. But the fact of the matter is kids reading is a great thing. And they have access to phones and iPads and computers. They're gonna find much worse stuff to read there than they ever will in a library.
0: Vanessa Parkhill, share some more information of what you're talking about with the content um, on his Facebook page. I'm curious. I did not see that. Um, I do want to talk about Mary McIntyre's tweet. If you want to put headlines back on screen on a one-shot, and then we'll go back to you on a two-shot. You know, the banning book concept really uh, rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, no doubt. Me too.
1: Because like I said kids reading is a great thing and as a parent you should be you should know what they're reading you should be talking to them about what they're reading because they're eventually they're going to get their hands on stuff and if they don't trust you if they think that you're gonna you know smack a book out of their hands or just disallow something without giving them a reason they'll do it behind your back I would, if I had kids, I would much rather them read whatever they want to read and come to me with questions about it, so that we can talk about it, rather than just, uh, you know, rather than just putting up a wall that prevents that that type of uh, interaction with, uh, you know, between a parent and a child.
0: Albert Graves, thank you for the retweet. Uh, Blake Maley, welcome to the program. Uh, Warrior AG, Mr. DL, thank you kindly for watching the program. door Sean, thank you for watching the program. We'll get to Mary McIntyre's tweet as well. I'm of the similar mindset. If a teenager, if a middle schooler, an elementary school student is told he or she cannot do something, depending on their makeup and mindset, many will gravitate to doing what they're told they cannot do. Yeah. It's a level of defiance that we see in our, in our children. I'm seeing that firsthand. My wife and I are uh, with our oldest, who is a f- very well-behaved young man. But, I mean, you say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And it's natural for them to push the limits.
1: Yeah. I mean, And once they're old enough and smart enough, they're not going to bring it to your attention. They're just going to do it behind your back. They're going to do, do it then, behind their and back. And you
0: don't know it's going on. Right. Right. Um, and, and I also want to be careful of, of um, you know, school districts or governments or organizations telling people what they can and cannot do in their free time. Yeah. You know, you give an inch and then next thing a mile is asked for. And, and, and banning books is a very risky proposition and some of the elements utilized in banning Charlotte's Web, David Varrell in the Outer Banks, hello. Florence worley via hello. Some of the elements banned, uh, some of the strategies or, or, you know, mindsets used to ban Charlotte's Web. I mean, what's next, banning the Bible? I mean, that's a little extreme. But I that... mean, animal speaking. There's many, a, many a story... Many a parable, many aspects of the Bible where animals have spoken. I, mean, I, know, I know the
1: snake does in the beginning, but uh, I don't know how often it shows up after that. Still, it's. Yeah, um, no, I think uh, I, we, the word knee jerk has, has been coming up a lot lately, and I think that people's knee jerk reactions to some things needs to
0: be toned down. Um. Mary McIntyre has a tweet that I think is really, I mean, I, I think it was courageous. That's why I took a screenshot of it and put it on the I Love Seville Instagram account. I'll read her tweet. I'm curious of your take on this. First, I want to give mine. You want you go on a one-shot, then we'll weave you in on a two. Uh, Mary McIntyre is the, and I'll read verbatim her profile on Twitter. She's a literacy specialist within Almorro County Public Schools. Um, she's the vice president of the Albemarle Education Association. She is a fourth-generation educator. And on her Twitter profile, it says she's committed to being in the arena rather than being a critic. And she does the work. I, you know, I've, she was a frequent attendee of Albemarle County School Board meetings. She live tweets Albemarle County School Board meetings. She ran for Albemarle County School Board, Mary McIntyre, uh, you know, what, was it 2019, Mary? Katrina Coulson beat her. Katrina Coulson outraised her. I know that, you know, disappointed um, Mary losing that race. In the Rio District. Mary is a vocal, vocal advocate of unionization within Almaro County Public Schools. Very vocal. For those that have watched and listened to this program, I'm a firm believer that teachers and administrators and staff of ACPS... Uh, should, should be given the opportunity to unionize, especially as their colleagues um, and Charlottesville Public Schools um, have earned this opportunity. My fear is that if you don't allow ACPS to unionize and afford them the same collective bargaining opportunities, that you're going to lose talent from Albemarle to other school districts. And no one wants to see that. She, married on October 18th, I should have brought this up yesterday, but the show was so jam-packed, we didn't have time to get to it. I wanted to make it the lead of today's program. She, she did this tweet, and I've, I've taken a screenshot of this tweet and put it on the I Love Seville Instagram account. I encourage I'm, you to go. I'm going to put it up on screen when you... Oh, fantastic. Please put it on the screen. Let me know when it's on screen. Judah's got it on screen. Well done, Judah. Um, I'll read it verbatim for those that are just listening to the audio component and not the video component. She says this in a tweet. Tonight I told a big group of Albemarle parents the difficult truth of my job. Depending on which school your child goes to, they may or may not get the reading intervention they need, and the county knows it. It was terrifying and liberating to finally say it, to finally say it. And then she hashtags reading intervention. She's a literacy specialist, and she's telling the community on her very well-followed Twitter account that depending on the school your kid goes to, they may or may not get the reading intervention they need. There's a lot to unpack on that. In fact, a commenter, a, a, a follower, or a reader of Mary's tweet, his name is Mark Edmondson, The following day, he asked her, can you expand on this a bit? And Mary responded, sure, I can expand on it quite a lot, but what would you like to know? This is my sixth year as a reading interventionist for ACPS, and the first school year, we've had clear data from a universal screener that accurately details the number of MS students at risk of reading failure. MS, I would imagine, is middle school. Where do you want to go on this tweet? First, I want to highlight Mary's courage for tweeting this. Yeah. And that's what I did in my comment on the screenshot on Instagram. I said she's dropping truth bombs. I appreciate Mary McIntyre's honesty and courage. To see positive change, the community must be honest with itself. On the Instagram account, another teacher in the comment section under this screenshot said, it's even worse where I am teaching now in my district. It's almost guaranteed that your kid will not get the intervention they need. Yeah, it's a shame. It is an absolute shame. So I would like to take a, a handful of minutes to gauge your thoughts on this, viewers and listeners. I want to ask parents their thoughts or to offer feedback. Is this associated with class sizes being too large? Is this associated with not having enough um, teacher talent or a depth on the educator roster to teach students of varying levels of progress? are teachers choosing to teach to the middle of the class from an academic or performance standpoint, which clearly would not benefit the bottom of the class from an academic or performance standpoint, and frankly wouldn't benefit the top of the class from an academic or performance standpoint. I also have this question. When she says, depending on which school your kid goes to, does that mean zip code? Does that mean elementary schools in more affluent neighborhoods are getting the reading intervention the students need in, say, Meriwether, which I guess is now Ivy Elementary or Murray Elementary?
1: I took it to mean that someone, someone like her in her position, isn't able to make it around to all of the of the schools in the district, and uh, and they have to you know kind of triage. They have to prioritize you know, which ones they go to, and then, you know, I don't know how many other people are doing this job with her, but obviously she can't, uh, she can't help every single student that needs reading intervention. It's probably just not uh, not feasible for one or however many people to cover the needs of, of every single student that's struggling with reading comprehension or whatever it is uh, reading-wise they're, they're struggling with.
0: A lot to unpack here. And why we're chattering about this topic is at the last school board meeting a week ago, Dr. Haas's contract was extended. Dr. Haas's contract was extended without the subject of the contract extension being positioned on the public agenda for the community to read. Yeah. Dr. Haas's contract was extended, ladies and gentlemen, without a public comment portion at the meeting. It's very under the radar. Dr. Haas's contract was extended without teacher input, administrator input. So here you have the vice president of the Albemarle Education Association, number two. From a hierarchy standpoint, in the lobbying group driving unionization, an employee of Albemarle County Public Schools, letting the community know on her very well-followed Twitter account that she live tweets school board meetings and is oftentimes the media resource for school board meetings because it's such a news desert here in Charlottesville and Central Virginia. She is utilizing her platform saying, depending on where your kid goes to school, they may not get the reading intervention they need. And Almaro County absolutely knows it. Think about the layers of the onion here. Her tweet happens a handful of days after Haas's undercover extension. And speaking of Albemarle County Public School news, this is a surprising bit of news. The Albemarle County Public School spokesman, Phil Giaramita, is retiring from ACPS. The school system announced that today. And he plans to retire at the end of this year. Hmm. Which is in what is that, 61, 73 days? Sure. So I want to just hear me out here. Unpack this for me. Phil GR Giar- I always mess up his last name. You want to say that for me? I think you got it right before, uh, Jaramita. Phil Jaramita. Yeah. Giar- I think that's what it is. Is retiring at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. He has, this announcement happens today. So he's retiring in, in 70 or so days, Judah. Yeah. And let's not forget, we have Thanksgiving break and Christmas break mm. on the calendar. Yeah. Thanksgiving break and Christmas break are what? Combine? 14 to 20 days? Something along those lines?
1: I have no idea what it is for kids.
0: Yeah, I do not remember. Let's call it 14 to 20 days. He's retiring in 70-some calendar days. You have weekends, holidays, in that mix. So significantly less school days. That retirement announcement happened today, and it's effective at the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. Then you have Dr. Haas, who got a contract extension this past week, and his contract was set to expire on June 30th of 2025. So Haas gets an extension 20 months before his contract expires. Yeah. And the school spokesman retires about 70 days out. At the same time, this is happening, a literacy specialist who's the vice president of the lobbying group driving unionization lets the community know depending where your kid goes to school they may or may not get the reading intervention they need parents are wondering if that's associated with class sizes parents are associated or wondering if that's associated with school zip codes whether it's the affluent schools are getting the literacy Right. needs, mm-hmm. and those that are non-affluent are not getting the literacy needs. That's a natural question to ask. Yeah. Parents are asking if this is associated with attrition and turnover. And Ms. McIntyre, with courage, says it's terrifying and liberating to finally say this. Impact that last sentence of her tweet. It's terrifying and liberating to finally say it.
1: I mean, I don't know. You'd have to ask her. I don't know if she means that uh she's no longer afraid to talk about it because she's not worried about repercussions or if it's just something that uh has been on her mind and she uh she feels good about, you know, getting out sharing with parents so that they maybe have a chance to uh to look into alternative means to help their kids.
0: Maria Marshall-Barnes leaves this comment. In my opinion, Maria Marshall-Barnes says, in my opinion, some elementary schools in southern Albemarle County deal with this problem. Middle school teachers have to work very hard to catch students up on reading and math.
1: Hmm. When they say catch catch students up, do they mean because they don't get enough help in elementary school, so they're only catching it
0: and uh, starting to deal with it in middle school? Or does she mean catch this up because some got way ahead over the summertime because parents closely working with kids, kids working with tutors, and those kids working with parents and tutors when they show up to school are vastly ahead of others that maybe don't have the same books in their house, engaged parents, or financial resources like tutors. Yeah, that could be it too. The reason we're talking schools on this program, Kevin Yancey, thank you for watching the program. Carly Wagner, Vanessa Parkhill. um, Rashimi Gia, we'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Um, I'm, you know, I'm talking schools because schools have become more front and center since the pandemic hit this country and hit our central virginia region we've highlighted that the gap with education in this community has widened with those with resources parents and those that do not have resources we saw the return to school in classroom learning slow or not match the speed of private school counterparts, public versus private. We know now that remote learning was disastrous. Remote learning was not just disastrous for academic performance, it was disastrous for social development. Gym class, for example, during hybrid learning, some aspects of gym class was to get a tennis ball and put it in your left hand and to throw it in the air and catch it with your right hand in front of a computer screen. Students from a performance standpoint are further behind now than when they were before COVID, because we lost a year in change during the pandemic where we weren't prepared to adapt to a generational situation. And that's not at fault, necessarily, of anyone who was prepared for COVID and the pandemic. Few, if any. Yeah. At the time, we did the best we could with what we had. But like much of life, some folks are able to figure out things quicker than others. And school and education, which was often seen as a public utility or a democratic resource during covid We even, it was magnified that school and education was by no means a public utility. It was magnified even more during COVID that education was a, education could be maximized by strategy and resources to levels that we didn't, I think, realize prior to the pandemic. We saw folks learning in backyards, and in neighborhoods, and on streets, and in parks. We saw folks immediately pivot to homeschool, or immediately pivot to in-person learning at some private institutions. And now we're seeing SOL scores tumble. We're seeing reading data be very concerning with the elementary school, especially with elementary school students that are on the financial margin and elementary school students of color. This is a key component of the school board race that is being followed the closest with Allison Spillman and Dr. Bryce. Both are talking about this data. In the last week, call it the last eight days, we've had some monumental developments in Almaro County Public Schools. I'm going to explain some of those developments to teach to viewers and listeners. Development number one. Dr. Haas's contract was extended 20 months before it was set to expire. It was set to expire on June 30th, 2025. Getting a contract extension when the school has not been performing like it should is one cause for concern. Getting a contract extension 20 months before expiration is another cause for concern. Getting a contract extension when that extension was not publicized on the agenda of a school board meeting is another cause for concern. Getting a contract extension when that extension was voted upon by school board members in the middle of October when new school board members were about to get on the board on the 1st of January is yet another cause for concern. When you start aggregating these causes of concern, you have people talking. And people should talk. Because now it's an additional two years beyond 2025 that this CEO will lead a school system that has been underperforming. Underperforming within that same window of time, seven or eight days, you had a literacy specialist that works for Albemarle County Public Schools, that is the vice president of the lobbying group leading unionization efforts, utilize a very visible platform that media in this community follow, parents in this community follow, teachers follow, and students follow, and she tweets this, Put it on screen, please, sir. Tonight I told a big group of Almoral parents the difficult truth of my job, depending on which school your kid goes to, they may or may not get the reading intervention they need and the county knows it. It was terrifying and liberating, liberating to finally say it. The questions that the parents are asking, my wife is asking, I'm asking, our neighbors and friends are asking, what schools is she referring to? Mm-hmm. Is it tied to zip codes? Are the schools elementary, middle, in Ivy and Western Almoral, which are generally or historically better performing, getting the intervention specialists or the intervention needs in comparison to schools in southern Almoral, Eastern Almoral, Northern Almoral? Why was it terrifying to offer this tweet? Was it fear for losing her job or facing ramifications or punishment from bosses and head honchos? Was it terrifying for her to say this because it's been going on for so long and she's the first to voice it? Was it terrifying for her to say this because she was fearful of the fallout? Why was it liberating to say it? Did it weigh guilt? Was it guilt on her conscience for not mentioning it sooner? I don't agree with everything um, politically Miss McIntyre offers, but I can say this: she comes from a phenomenal place and what's and wants what is best for students. She's a fourth generation educator. She works as hard in the classroom as she's doing outside the classroom. You go to the school board meetings and you see her in the audience almost every time. Another aspect of the last eight days that I find intriguing, concerning, dynamic, cause for concern, the school spokesman Phil Giamatti I always mess up his name, Germiti. Germita. Germata <laughs> is retiring from the school system at the end of the year. It was literally announced today. This is one of Superintendent Haas's lieutenants. Mm-hmm. The one who a lot of folks have dubbed the spin doctor. An incredibly well-paid individual. An announcement of retirement today scheduled for the end of the year. Do we look into this and say this is due to performance? Do we look into this as this is someone falling on the sword for Haas? Is anyone else not intrigued by this announcement? And I've said I said this on a previous show with how the dominoes have tipped over the last eight days. Let me paint a stage for you. Let me paint a scenario for you that's a very realistic scenario, okay? Here's the scenario I'm going to paint for you. Ellen Osborne is running unopposed in the Scottsville District for Almore County School Board. She's an incumbent. And... As an incumbent, she will continue to keep the schools heading in the direction they currently are. Okay? That's one thing. Allison Spillman has now surpassed Meg Bryce in fundraising. Albemarle County, in, in general, is liberal leaning and very blue in how it votes. That history of voting. Aligns with Spillman and would likely indicate Spillman is a favorite at this point. We're a couple of weeks removed from the election. Judy Lee's competition is a write in candidate. Judy Lee's an incumbent and has already been on the school board. She's comfortable and confident with the direction of Albemarle County Public Schools right now, Judy Lee. She's likely to win. In the Whitehall District, you have Berlin and McDermott running against each other. Berlin was appointed to the Albemarle County School Board to replace David Oberg. Berlin is a liberal. McDermott leans more conservative. Past voting would suggest Berlin's going to win this. Katrina Carlson has got a very bright political future. She's the chairwoman of the board. Currently, Katrina Coulson is in the process of transitioning off the board and current members are going to appoint her replacement. Mm -hmm. You legitimately have an educational environment or ecosystem or political structure where Ellen Osborne's going to be on there, Rebecca Berlin's going to stay on there, the current board is going to replace a Katrina Coulson substitute who will match the board's ideology. A lot of people are saying the person that's going to replace Katrina Coulson is an individual who's been seen campaigning with Berlin and Spillman already. Hmm. Judy Lee is running against the write in candidate. She's going to win. Graham Page is going to be on there. Osborne's going to be on there. Spillman, at this time, you got to say, is a slight favorite. I'm basing that on fundraising numbers. I'm also basing that on how Almaro County's voted in the past. K to Cuff ain't going anywhere. Dr. Matthew Haas's contract just got a renewed for another two years, which puts him in a position of being on as the superintendent through the summer of 2027. You have SOL scores flatlining or heading southward you got a literacy specialist who's saying depending on where your kid goes to school they may or may not get the intervention they need Mm -hmm. you still got attrition happening teacher attrition in particular unionization hasn't materialized despite months if not years of effort On January 1, 2024, there's a lot of folks, moms and dads, moms and moms, dads and dads in this community that can make a legitimate argument and say, hey, nothing's changed. If not, the direction the school system was in has gained more momentum to continue in that path That's why I said earlier in the week you could next year see a significant gentrification of education within ACPS And some of these trends aren't unique to Albemarle. Did you know that there's a handful of spots on the Charlottesville School Board, Judah, that are up for election? Charlottesville School Board. You want to know how many spots are up for re-election on the Charlottesville School Board? Sure. Four. For the first time in 20 years more than half of the seven-person board will be new members. Hmm. Of those four spots that are up on the Charlottesville school board, four of seven, you know, you know how much opposition is in, that race, in, in those races? Genuine question for you. I don't. There's not a single race in Charlottesville city schools that has political opposition on the school board half of the board in charlottesville city schools is up for election on the 7th of november and chris meyer nicole richardson amanda burns and shamora cooper already know they're going to be on the board determining the future of charlottesville city schools because they have no political opposition That's why I stick with my, my comment about the gentrification of education locally on the very near horizon. Comments are coming in quickly. Thank you for sending me the context of Philip Andrew Hamilton's um, posts. Philip Andrew Hamilton and uh, Vanessa Parkhill sent me that, Queen of Earliesville. But Philip Andrew Hamilton, who is watching the program, um, has this comment. He says, Look at books like Gender Queer, Lawn Boy, and Let's Talk About It. They all show and depict sexual graphics that are oriented towards children. Not all books that are made for children are appropriate for children. We need parents to speak up at the Albemarle School Board and the Charlottesville School Board meetings about these pornographic books. Carly Wagner is watching the program. She has a handful of comments. I think Carly has very much established herself as a commenter that I follow closely and, 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 and read her comments. Aaron, I'll get to yours in a matter of moments. Carly says, schools are really the only publicly funded institution that I can think of that says, hey, everyone is going to pay for this. You can only go to the place based on where you live, and it won't be equal. There will be good and bad schools, but it doesn't matter. SNAP benefits, WIC benefits, home buying credits, housing vouchers, no other system works that way. We don't say, here is is your SNAP card, but you can only use it at the grocery store closest to your home. If that store doesn't stock the food covered by the card, too bad. But she says with schools, that is the case. Carly also adds appointment and term of superintendent, certain cons- contractual matters. The school division, the, the division superintendent of schools, shall be appointed by the school board of the division from the entire list of eligibles certified by the state board. All contract terms for superintendents shall expire on June 30th. The division superintendent shall serve for an initial term of not less than two years or more than four years. At the expiration of the initial term, the division superintendent shall be eligible to hold office for the terms specified by the employing school board, not to exceed four years. Except as provided in the subsection B, the division superintendent shall be appointed by the school board within 180 days after a vacancy occurs. This is so long. And you put that in a synopsis for me. Oh, she did. She did. Thank you. She says, in a nutshell, they couldn't renegotiate his contract after the election and before new board members began their term. And if they waited and someone who didn't support Haas was elected, they couldn't have renegotiated without 30 days notice unless unanimous board support. They would have had to give 30 days notice that renegotiating would take place, giving the board, that board member time to alert the public so they likely felt it was now or never. There you go. That's what I was alluding to. I'll read this comment again. Great. This is one of your best ones, Carly. I sincerely mean this. You make the program better. I'll read, ready for this again? Yeah. In a nutshell, the school board could not renegotiate Dr. Haas's contract after the election and before new board members began their term. And if they waited and someone who did not support Haas was elected, they could not have renegotiated without 30 days notice, unless unanimous board support, they would have had to give 30 days notice that the renegotiation would take place, given that board member time to alert the public so they likely felt it was now or never. That is a direct response to potentially Bryce winning a spot on the board. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. Look, I'm going to give you a very direct call to action here. And you may be offended by this. I hope you're not. My call to action is more intended on being a... Wake-up call, okay? Parents and taxpayers, wake up. Parents and taxpayers in this community, wake the F up. You're being played, bamboozled, hustled. The wool pulled over your eyes. You just had, and, and we'll disagree on this. I'm gonna call Haas, the CEO, with the school board the board of directors, managing the CEO. I'm gonna call Sam Sanders, the CEO of the city of Charlottesville, and the counselors, the board of directors managing Sam Sanders. You've got a CEO in Haas who just got an extension into 2027. Mm-hmm. That's an entire high school track for someone who's in the eighth grade right now. That's most elementary school for someone who's in kindergarten right now. That's all of middle school for someone who's in fifth grade right now. Wake up. Aaron King says, one of Western Amarillo's finest graduates, I have tremendous respect for Aaron King. Tremendous respect. She says, the Bible better be banned in public schools, right? Separation of church and state, right? The, Bible, the Bible's banned. My Bible re- reference was not applicable to this conversation. The Bible is banned. There's, there's, you're not reading the Bible in the public school. 100% right, there. Carly has this comment. Carly, you should come back on the show. I I sincerely mean that. I would love to host you again. Bill Bill Mooncatchy, why don't you come on the show, Mr. Bill, when Carly's on the show? I would love if that happened. Bill Mooncatchy, the retired educator, and Carly Wagner. Heck, we can even invite Tom Stargell, the Golden Apple Award winner. He watches this program routinely. Tom's watching right now. Michael Pruitt, welcome to the program. Kate Shartz, the Queen of Ivy, hello. James Watson, Jason Howard, Johnny Arnalis. Johnny Arnalis' beautiful wife is a fantastic educator. Now, Marlowe County Public Schools. Bo- I mean, so I can't even keep track of how many people are watching right now. Carly says, instead of being accountable for the downward slide of schools, they gaslit the parents that take their kids out for better opportunities and blame them for the school issues. Good point. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville says, oddly enough, the redistricting that happened when Baker Butler was built actually opened up some support opportunities for kids who got moved to Agner Hurt. Agner Hurt had more kids who needed support, so I believe they had a full-time specialist. If your student is in a highly performing school, say Meriwether Lewis, that school may not have the same special support staff due to a lower need. It's not always lower income schools who don't have those services. At least that was my experience years ago. Thank you, for Vanessa, for sharing that, that comment. I know a lot of parents are asking, especially since we posted this on I Love Seaville, And whether viewers or listeners want to admit this or not, and there's a portion of the population that doesn't like the content we talk about on I Love Seville. And that's okay. That's okay. But one thing we all are in agreement on about I Love Seville, whether it's this show that we do Monday through Friday from 1230, sometimes till two o'clock, or our Instagram account, or our Facebook pages, or our Twitter pages, our YouTube account, our Fountain, the Fountain app, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, our e-newsletter, our website com. Here's the reality. This platform reaches a, a boatload of people. And I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone. The, the progress, daily progress, just released its advertising data or its, its circulation data. And the progress has to release its circulation data, I think it's quarterly. Deep Throat sent me this information. He's got a screenshot, Deep Throat, of the circulation numbers from the progress signed by Josh Harmon, the business manager. He sent me the screenshot. This is public record on the website. You're looking at less than 6,000 people here for this publication. And the reason I bring this to people's attention is the media business is changing rapidly. And it's no longer couch box in front of us, appointment TV for 22 minutes of content. And it's no longer knob turned to a frequency in the car at drive-in or drive-home time. Or plastic bag with paper and ink at the foot of our driveway, get in the morning with our bathrobe and a coffee in our hands. It's this. It's this, and we understand the responsibilities here. And as a young parent, our oldest is in kindergarten. Our youngest is still in diapers and is about to celebrate a one year old birthday. As a young parent, my wife and I have gotten more emotionally and physically invested into schools and education. Because we live vicariously through our children. And we want what is best for our boys. Just like you, moms and dads watching this program. You want what's best for your kids. And like, I can't be more authentic or real here. I'm very concerned. I'm concerned that Deep Throat put this, sent this to me. Deep Throat's a data guy. He says... We're seeing signs of gentrification. The ratio of household income of households moving into the Thomas Jefferson Planning District North and South combined regions from outside the area, the household incomes are 26% higher than the household incomes of those moving out of the area. That is like the 93rd percentile. Last year, it was around the 80th percentile. you got a guy who watches this program who's a really smart man who makes his living analyzing data of all kinds. And he spends, and I'm grateful for you, dude. I sincerely mean this, man. I am literally grateful for you making the program better. He spends probably hours every week providing this talk show data and I don't have the skill set to interpret or analyze data like he does. It's one of his talents. And he puts it in very digestible nuggets for me to communicate to you. My skill set is, one of them, communication, okay? And he puts them in digestible nuggets to communicate to you. Like what Carly is doing here, or Vanessa is doing, or Maria Marshall-Barnes. What What Bryce is doing. People are concerned of what they're seeing locally. What John does on LinkedIn, John Blair. People are concerned of what they're seeing locally in this community and we're utilizing this platform to crowdsource or aggregate information to send it to the masses quickly or get it out in the news cycle. Because we know legacy media is being eroded. It's being eroded by big businesses that are more concerned about profits than the people in their community. Judah likes to call it profits over people.
1: <laughs>
0: and I learn from Judah every day. I'm concerned that we have a significant migration of wealth into the Charlottesville and Almoral area. I'm concerned that that wealth that's coming into the Charlottesville area, HUD, median household income for this metro area, $123,300 per household. And that number is escalating. It's rising. It's not diminishing. And as boatloads of wealth come to this area, we're seeing the gentrification of neighborhoods. We're seeing the gentrification of education. We're seeing the the gentrification of business. I mean, yesterday we talked about how Reeds on Preston Avenue is struggling to survive. We're seeing the gentrification of retail. We're seeing the impacts it has on restaurants. If the community is massively changing in the wealth per household, that means we have less folks in this community from a social economic, um, from parity with social economic, the latter. When I moved here in 2000, as a first year at the University of Virginia, you had clear cut neighborhoods. Belmont and Hogwaller and Woolen Mills were very blue collar. I tell the story all the time. My buddy, Me and three buddies, after college, moved to 208 Little Graves behind Spud Nuts. It's now Quality Pie. We were so broke, four of us lived in a three-bedroom household. One of of those bedrooms was a converted greenhouse. We converted a greenhouse into a bedroom. Our fourth buddy, who was even more broke than our other buddies climbed a rope ladder into an attic that had no insulation, air condition, or heat, and he slept on a blow-up mattress in the attic of 208 Little Graves, climbing a rope ladder every night, including after we closed the bars down. When we lived on Little Graves in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, Belmont was so blue-collar, it hadn't gentrified yet. Down the street of Little Graves is this side dirt road, this, like, secondary alley road that you can take that connects people to downtown proper of, of, of Belmont. And at that time, La Tassa wasn't even open yet. The local wasn't open The only places in Belmont downtown were Mas Tapas and the Belmont Market. I used to walk down Little Graves, take a left on this dirt alley to buy, it was all I could afford at the time, cases of natural light for like $6.99 a 24-pack, $7.99 a 24-pack from the Belmont Market. And on doing that hike late at night, I was extremely mindful of my surroundings. That dirt alley that connected Little Graves to the Belmont main drag would frequently have men and women doing all kinds of things in that alley they shouldn't have been. There was a shed at the end of Little Graves, a shed that had a pool table in it, a house that was very beat up, that was owned by the old guard, the OG of Belmont, blue-collar Belmont. And in that shed, a pool table, maybe a seven- or eight-foot bar box pool table. Not pockets, but balls that went into a pocket and then rolled and were picked out from a shaft or an opening on the side of the table. And I got to know the guys that played pool at this shed. These were blue-collar guys. And we would go, we'd pound Budweiser's. There was all kinds of extracurricular activities done in this shed besides the pounding of Budweiser's, and I'll leave it at that because I have to keep it PG-13. Now you go down Little Graves and you take a left down that dirt alley, You don't see folks doing unmentionables. You're not run into by anyone. The only thing you might see is a very well-groomed poodle cutting across the dirt road. Maybe a labradoodle or a golden doodle. That shed's been torn down. The house has been completely remodeled. And Belmont is wealthy and white. Woolen Mills, Hogwaller, wealthy and white. Find me a neighborhood right now in the city of Charlottesville that is not gentrifying at the speed of light. Find me one. What do you point to? Maybe you're pointing to 10th and Page. Maybe you're pointing to certain pockets of Fifeville. What do you think those are going to look like in the next four to five years? My bet is probably wealthy and white. And that should be concerning because the wealth that's sprinting into the area is changing the makeup of schools, the makeup of neighborhoods. It's impacting the ability of businesses from a hiring standpoint. Folks are struggling to hire. The population, 20s, 30s, and 40s that were previously working frontline jobs, those 20s, 30s, 40s now are working technology, data, hybrid, remote jobs. Some associated with employers that are not even in Charlottesville or Almoral or Central Virginia. Deep Throat calls it the amenity effect. You look at the amenity effect. I, I, I want to call out an exact definition of the amenity effect. In fact, I would love, Deep Throat, if you gave me three sentences on how you saw the amenity effect impact Austin, Texas, when you previously lived there. I would love, because your your description of it in Austin was fantastic. James Watson says, I salute teachers. A college degree plus master's degree costs about $120,000, and you ultimately earn a low wage wage. There's not much return on investment there. Well said, James. Randy O'Neill says, watch how many kids are on free and reduced lunches. That's gonna tell you a lot. Randy O'Neill also says, during my three years working at Stone Robinson, my program increased attendance, improved all grade level academics and reduced disciplinary problems. Fully accredited when I left, and my goal was 100% pass rate on all health and PE assessments. He also says the state school board association is housed at UVA and operates like a secret society. The state legislator uses their yearly assessment of need. Warrior AG says, I, I bet no one is spray painting the school board candidate signs. I bet you're right because there's no competition in those races. Maria Marshall Barnes says her elementary school has had four principals in 13 years. Maria Marshall Barnes says, here's a quick story. In 1995 at Almoral High School, the Bible was taught as a novel. Needless to say, the teacher had a hard time separating her opinions and thankfully didn't finish my senior year there. Deep Throat says, here's a perfect example of the amenity fact in Austin, Texas. Some developers got permission to build high-rises along the northern side of Town Lake. Everyone laughed at them. And for a while, these buildings were empty. But the developers looked for rich UT graduates, University of Texas graduates, New Yorkers, Californians, looking for a lower tax place. And they managed to fill these beautiful high-rises along the north side of Town Lake. The presence of this first wave of elite earners brought their friends to visit, or they moved their offices and and brought their employees down with them. Then the downtown area saw restaurants spring up to serve these people, spas, etc. Now the neighborhood became a restaurant hotspot. More buildings go up, and so on and so on. The amenity effect is proximity to wealthy people is an amenity that other wealthy people will pay for. The restaurants that pop up to serve them are an amenity. makes the place more attractive to other wealthy people. Likes attracts likes. I'd like to see Mel's Cafe survive. I'd like to see Riverside yeah. Grill survive. Jack yeah. and Jill's, La Michoacana, mm-hmm. Fabio's, Corner Kitchen. I'd like to see them survive. Tell me why Michael's Bistro on the corner has not made it. Tell me why Little John's on the corner closed down. What's next? The White Spot? or the city's oldest restaurant over 100 years, The Virginian? You walk down the downtown mall, and what's the entry point for dinner in Charlottesville right now? You buy a meal in downtown Charlottesville. What's the entry point? It's probably Jack Brown's
1: jack brown's vita nova christians uh, marco and and uh
0: how about a sit-down restaurant with a waiter you want to go on a date to downtown charlottesville you bring somebody you care about to charlottesville's heartbeat it's epicenter the downtown mall how much are you going to spend you want table service is that citizen burger bar That's probably not too... Is that the whiskey jar? Not
1: overly expensive. I don't know. Whiskey jar, you might be getting up a little higher.
0: So maybe Judah calls it Citizen Burger Bar. Love Citizen Burger Bar. The Steakhouse Burger at Citizen Burger Bar is one of my favorites. This is no knock on Citizen. In fact, we just highlighted that it's the most affordable and approachable price point in downtown Charlottesville if you want table service. What are you looking at? $17, $18 $17, $18 a burger? Is that how much it is now? I'm asking.
1: I guess maybe it could be for some of the burgers, but probably not their cheapest burger, probably not a standard burger. I'm going to take a look. I'm calling up
0: the menu. Yeah, I guess I will too. It's loading right now. You got an American classic cheeseburger... That's 15 bucks. Wow. You get two American classic cheeseburgers at 15 a pop. Can we spring for a soda? Or do you want to say we each got one cold beer? Why well, do we stop at one? Because we're price conscious. <laughs> yeah. Um... And it's inflationary times and we've got to stretch a dollar. You get an American classic, Judah. I get an American classic. We each get a cold beer. We'll call it 8 bucks for the beer. That's $30 for the burgers. $16 for the beers. We're at 46 bones, Judah. Yep. We know the taxes, meals tax, all the sales tax on there, it's about 12%. Let's add an extra $5.50 to the $46. bucks. we are now at $52, roughly. I tip 20%. Service yeah. is always good at Citizen. You guys, you get two American classic burgers, and we each get a cold beer, and we're dropping $65 to have table service on the downtown mall on a date night, on a Friday evening, in the city of Charlottesville. And you try to get a table at Citizen on a Friday night. Everyone else who's price conscious is going there as well. You're looking at a 45 or 90 minute wait at times. We're now a $65, two cheeseburgers, and a couple of beer dinner community. How about them apples? You want an amenity effect? In 2000, as a first year, with a fake New Jersey ID, my buddy and I, our first year of college, we made fake New Jersey IDs. We'd take the trolley from Bonnie Castle, no, we'd walk out of Dabney Old Dorms, We'd walk to the trolley stop across from the Bank of America ATM by grounds. You guys know where the Bank of America branch is. We'd hop on the trolley. We've snucked a couple of Natty Light 12-ounce cans with us, drinking them on the way, having one on the trolley without people knowing. The trolley was free. We each had $10 in our pocket. Four of us each had ten bucks. We'd go to Miller's to watch Agents of Good Roots, half the band play a set at Miller's in 2000 with ten dollars. We'd take the trolley back and we'd have change in our pocket after having a good buzz after a few hours of watching live music. Ten dollars, multiple drinks, a shot, back and Dabney Dorms. What's a beer at Miller's Run? Eight bucks? What's a shot? Eight bucks? Nine bucks? I just call that being a victim of our own success. Others call it the amenity effect. If you're just tuning into the program, we led the show with Mary McIntyre's tweet about reading intervention. We highlighted the fact that Dr. Haas's contract was renewed without much public notice, in fact, no public notice. Haas's contract renewal was not on the agenda. We just highlighted the fact that most of you are hearing this for the first time. The Albemarle County Public School spokesman, Philly G, the spin doctor, is retiring at the end of the year. That announcement was made today. If you're also just tuning into the program, the Charlottesville Police Department And I I think this is great by Mike Cotches. Mike Cotches and the Charlottesville Police Department are going to help the folks move out of Market Street Park. Their plan and their goal is to do zero arrests. Nice. That's awesome. That is awesome and should be saluted. Mm. No arrests in Market Street Park. I would love to see that play out. And they've said we will help anyone move where they need to go, including helping lift the tents and their belongings to another location. Props to the police department for that. That's awesome. No doubt. I want to highlight some more positive news. There's a creative space for kids opening on the downtown mall. And it's called Blossom Play Space. And Blossom Play Space, which you can find online at blossomplayspace.com, is an opportunity for children and parents to do creative and progressive things in a space in downtown Charlottesville to explore, learn, and grow. Blossom play space. The grand opening is right around the corner. On their Facebook page, it says it's at 7N East Market Street. Hmm. Do you know where that is on Market Street, Judah? 7N? We're at 406 East Market Street here. 7N East Market Street. That's what it says right there, right?
1: And East Market Street. So that must be right in the middle.
0: I'm not sure where it is. You're better at addresses than I am.
1: That's got to be right, right in the smack dab in
0: the center. So. Uh, What's that by Fleury? Across from the library?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Um, here, I'll figure it out. A creative space for kids and parents. Charlottesville needs more of this. Certainly downtown does. I give props to the entrepreneurs behind Blossom Play Space. Blossomplayspace.com That's great news. Oh. You found it? Uh, I think
1: so. Let's see.
0: I just want the weekend to go well. And I'll close with this. This is a little statistic on affordability. If mortgage rates were at 3% right now, 50 million households could qualify for a $400,000 mortgage. At 7% mortgage rates, 27 million qualify, and at 8% mortgage rates, where we're at right now, 22 million qualify. When we jumped from 3%, we had 50 million households that could afford a $400,000 mortgage. At an 8% mortgage, $22 can afford a $400,000 mortgage. That's according to Lance Lambert, who I follow on Twitter, who makes his living tracking mortgage data. He says this isn't just a rate shock. It's a credit eligibility shock that we're experiencing right now. Carol Thorpe would like to see the city manager roll up his sleeves and be at the park helping folks move out of their tents and their belongings as well. I think Sam Sanders will be there. I hope Mr. Sanders is there as well. I really do. The Nook does have table service. Yes, ma'am, Vanessa Parkhill. Sal's Cafe Italia does have table service. Yes, ma'am, Vanessa Parkhill. Miller's has table service. Yes, as well. Were you right? It was by Petty Pois and across from the library? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh,
1: Google Maps is, uh, is showing it in Market Street Park.
0: I just want to have... Positivity around the downtown mall. (laughs) All I want (laughs) for downtown (sighs) Charlton. You want to close?
1: Okay. Um, I would close with uh, get your kids reading. Uh, It's not just... uh, I know that it is uh, Mary McIntyre's job, but I believe it's every parent's job as well. Uh, If your kids aren't reading or if they're having trouble reading, uh, that's partially your responsibility. And uh, you can't just leave it up to your kids and someone else. Uh, We used to have... uh, We used to have tutoring at our church. And part of the problem was kids not being connected and taking advantage. But another problem was parents that didn't care. Kids would come if their parents were pushing them to come. But if the parents stopped pushing them, if the parents stopped caring, the kids wouldn't come. And eventually the program got shut down because there weren't enough kids coming in. There are people that would love to help kids read but if you don't care enough why would you
0: expect your kid to well said Judah I'm going to offer closing thoughts from two viewers and listeners that I have tremendous respect for the first one is John Blair he says Jerry you ready for this this is from John when John leaves, leaves a comment, I, I I zero in on it. Mary McIntyre is saying the quiet part out loud. You, Judah, and I, and everyone else knows that the Western feeder pattern has essentially established a private school in all but name within Almaro County. While we have seen the local at large school board election talk about private schools. Perhaps we should hear from both candidates on how they plan to make Western Albemarle High School less like a private school and more like a public school. In the Valley, everyone considers Western Albemarle High School a private school. As one friend has commented, how many public schools have a crew team? (laughs) What has happened in Albemarle is a disgrace for anyone who believes in racial equality. Good for Mary McIntyre for saying this out loud. That's John Blair's comment on LinkedIn. Dave Riddick is an educator. He says this on LinkedIn. So Jerry, given the apparently entrenched liberal status quo, what choices exist for families to get their children the educational experience they need and deserve? That's a great question. And I don't have a great answer. Unfortunately, those with resources have more options than those that don't. And it's not just private school, private schools where I'm talking resources. I'm talking fantastic tutors like Bill Mooncatche. one of the best tutors out there.. Zeta Math Tutoring. Reach out to that guy if you need some math help. Homeschooling is another option that I'm seeing gain in popularity. A lot of people out there are choosing the homeschooling route. And guess what? Homeschooling ain't easy. I believe it. You spend a day with a a five-and-a-half-year-old, and at the end of the day, sometimes you want to pull your hair out. And you're counting the minutes to bedtime. Imagine... Spending a day, not only as a parent, but then having to be the teacher as well. Any of the parents that are utilizing a homeschool setting, I applaud you for the patience of Mother Teresa. For Judah Wickhauer and Jerry Miller, this is the I Love Seville show on a Friday in downtown Charlottesville. The heartbeat of this community.